He says, I never knew you. I believe that the people that are the most susceptible to this danger are church people. People who have maybe grown up in the church, parents have maybe dragged them to the church, and they are surrounded with church activity, God activity, maybe even serving in the church, but they don't know Jesus. They haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And some may even equate going to church as being a Christian, but that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is accepting the Lord, believing in what He's done for you on the cross, and progressing and learning to follow Him in this journey that we call life. I want you to know God and make God known. Welcome to another episode of the Make God Known podcast. You guys have to excuse my voice and if I'm a little bit of a lower vibe, it's because I got a cold and I'm a little bit sick. But I believe that today is going to be a great podcast. I have some exciting stuff to share with you guys. Today we're going to be talking about why Christianity is declining in North America. And we're going to follow that up with the question, will Christianity die? So let's get straight into today's podcast. Before I share my suspicions on the reasons why I believe Christianity is declining in North America, let me share some stats with you. These are two articles written in 2021 and also in 2022 by Pew Research and also Gallup Poll. Don't mind me as I look at my notes here. But this is what they say. They say that 64% of Americans call themselves Christians today. That may seem like a large number, but in comparison to 50 years ago, that number was actually 90%. So we see a huge decline from 90% to 64%. That same survey said that the Christian majority in the U.S. may disappear by 2070. This, of course, is their prediction. Church membership in the U.S. has fallen below 50% for the very first time. Not as many people are gathering uh, physically in the church today. 30% of Americans now call themselves non-religious. There is a professor of theological and religious studies by the name of Tina Ray, and listen to what she says, and I quote, The interest of the nuns will soon outweigh those of the religious right in just a manner of years. So as you could see, these stats really tell of where we are in terms of Christianity. And so now that we got that out of the way, let me share with you guys my suspicions on the four reasons why Christianity is declining in North America. And of course, I'm going to go to the Bible and we're going to take out some principles from the Bible and we're going to learn a little bit about how they apply to our day and our culture today. So reason number one, people never really knew Jesus in the first place. There is a major difference between being around and doing the activity of what we call God and intimately knowing God on a person-to-person -person basis. I won't elaborate 
too much on intimacy with God. As a matter of fact, if you want to go through some thorough study on intimacy with God, go to my previous podcast and I talk all about that. But there is a major, major difference. And there's no other biblical passage as clear as this one that really brings out this reason. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23 where it says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What's the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, I believe it's verse 3 or verse 6, says that no one could go to the Father or enter into heaven except through me. Jesus claims that about himself. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So the will of the Father is to believe in the Son. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. As you can see here, There are people that are consumed with the activity of God, being around it, doing it. But yet, Jesus' response is, I never knew you. If you study that Greek word knew, K-N-E-W, it talks about being intimate with the Lord, knowing the Lord on a person-to-person basis. And of course, this could only happen through believing in Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I never knew you. I believe that the people that are the most susceptible to this danger are church people, people who have maybe grown up in the church, parents have maybe dragged them to the church, and they are surrounded with church activity, God activity, maybe even serving in the church, but they don't know Jesus. They haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And some may even equate going to church as being a Christian. But that's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is accepting the Lord, believing in what he's done for you on the cross, and progressing and learning to follow him in this journey that we call life. So that's what it means to be a Christian. And so the question that I have for many of us that are either listening to this or or watching this is, have you really accepted Jesus into your life? And do you know him? Reason number two, people are not rooted in the presence and in the words of Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, All of us face the reality of having trials in life. You can't escape it. You can't run away from it. Suffering is a reality. It is part of life. But I want to speak to my Christians. I want to speak to myself. When trouble comes, we should be less worried, although it is valid for us to have the feelings of being concerned or worried with the problems that we're facing, but we should be less worried about the problems that we're facing, and we should be more worried about how deep our roots are in the presence of Jesus and in his 
words. I'm going to share with you two passages of scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, and Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 28. In the first verse, Jesus is sharing a parable. And he says, there's a farmer who's scattering seed and it falls on four different environments. We don't have time to go through all four, but I'm going to share one of the environments that's applicable to the point that I'm making. This is what Jesus says. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, the word of God that is, and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So here you see a person receiving God's word and the and the word is springing up in their life. It's, it's taking effect in their life, in other words. But soon and quickly, the plant or the effects of what God is doing in that person's life is scorched. It represents the problems and the trials of life. Why? Because that person's roots were not deep enough in the word of God or they didn't allow the word of God to take root in their heart and in their mind, in their spirit. So he says that this person soon falls away. See, Jesus here is less concerned about the problems and he's more concerned about how deep our roots are in his word and in his presence. The second verse is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 28. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters water, flood rise and the winds beat against that house, talking about the problems and tribulations of life, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. It's built on the rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. One of the other principles that we see here is not only are you able to be steadfast or be firm when problems or when the storms of life happen to you, but you're also able to be wise on how to handle the storm when your heart is rooted on the rock that is Christ himself in his word and also in his presence. And so the question that I have for all of us is what does our quality time with Jesus and his word look like? Are we valuing to spend time with Jesus? Are we setting apart time to read his word so that the word could get rooted in our spirits, in our hearts, and in our minds? What does our quality time with Jesus and his word look like? Reason number three. People have a love for the world and also a love for Jesus. They try to have a love for the world and also try to have a love for Jesus. I want to stay here for two reasons. Number one, because it's personal for me. Uh, I have been convicted of this many, many, many times by the Lord. And secondly, I want to challenge people to walk in the way that Christ wants us to walk in. You've heard it said, we are in the world, but we are not of it. The problem is that we're trying to be of Jesus and we're trying to be of the world at the same time. And I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. When we become complacent and comfortable in a culture 
we could become susceptible to compromise on our values. I'm going to share with you two illustrations that are going to highlight this point. One is going to be from secular history, and then the second is going to be from biblical history. Near the end of the first century, the Roman Empire ruled most of the known world. A king by the name of Caesar Augustus ruled at that time. Now, Christians were increasing by the thousands. And one of the requirements for Rome was that people could worship any god that they wanted. The reason why they did this is because they wanted unity and harmony in the society. Now, here's the thing. Christians were being persecuted in that time as well, not because they were worshiping Jesus, because again, Rome wanted unity and harmony. And so anybody could worship any God that they wanted. They could worship five gods, 10 gods, one God if they wanted. But Christians weren't being persecuted because of that. Christians were being persecuted because they said that they would not worship Caesar Augustus or see Caesar Augustus as God. And that was the reason why they were being persecuted. Now, fast forward to our time. We live in a society, we live in a culture where we have the free will to worship any God that we want. But the problem is for Christians is that we've gotten too comfortable and we've gotten complacent in this culture and what the culture values, that soon enough we become susceptible to compromise on our values and our worship to one God and one God alone, that being Jesus Christ. So you see the same problem happening now that you see then. The only thing is that Christians back then, and we still see it today, absolutely refuse to worship any other God other than the one and only Jesus Christ. Now let's look at biblical history. God makes a covenant with the people of Israel and he tells the people of Israel, do not make any covenants when you enter into the promised land with the pagans. Don't make any covenant, don't make any contracts, any agreements when you enter into the promised land with the pagans that are living in that land, ones that worship their own idols. Long story short, the people of Israel, they compromise and they don't break down their altars and they soon allow the pagans to live in the land that they were supposed to occupy. What happened? They began to compromise on their worship with God. They began to worship other idols. They began to worship other gods. And just it points to the reality that this is what I believe that I'm seeing in North America. I think we've gotten too comfortable. Things are too convenient. Things, uh, people are too complacent. And when they become complacent, comfortable, and when things are convenient for them, they become susceptible to compromise on their values, on, on their worship to God. And so the question that I have for all of us is have we forsaken the world to follow and love Jesus alone. Reason number four, pride goes before the fall. This is written in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, where I repeat again, pride goes before the fall. When I talk about pride, what am I saying? When you and I 
trust and depend more on ourselves than we do in God, we've stepped into pride. And what follows that, as the Bible says, is a fall, is a declining. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 12 says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. What is the author of Hebrews saying here? He's referring to when the people of Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness just right before they enter into the promised land. God said, this is the land you will occupy. I will give it to you. But they doubted the integrity of God's word. They trusted more in themselves, more in their own understanding. And when they did that, they fell into pride. They stepped into pride. And what happened after that? God said, you're not going to end. This generation is not going to enter into the promised land. As a matter of fact, you're going to walk around the promised land for 40 years in the wilderness. And the Bible says that people fell in the wilderness, dying. May I use this to bring a spiritual principle? Is the moment we step into pride, we have to expect to fall. This is an issue for me. It's an issue for many of us. Pride loves to creep in. Pride loves to convince us to trust in ourselves, to trust in our own understanding. But may I encourage all of us as sons and daughters is that we are meant to trust in God because He is trustworthy. We are meant to depend on God because there's no one else that we could depend on other than God. What's the application here? The application here is to humble ourselves to accept God's word to be true. What, what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to have humility? Well, it's actually the complete opposite. Rather than trusting in ourselves and depending on ourselves, we trust more and depend more on God. And when we do that, we step into humility. We step into having a humble heart. And what does the Bible say? That when you are humble, God will lift you up. But when you have pride, God will bring you down. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your souls. So let's review. These are my four suspicions on why I believe Christianity is declining in North America. Number one, you never knew Jesus in the first place. Number two, not rooted in the presence and in the words of Jesus. Number three, there's a love for the world and also a love for Jesus, which again is a deception of the enemy. It's a plan and a strategy that the enemy has used since the beginning of time. Actually, let me say this because I, I missed this part in my notes. When I talk about love for the world, what am I talking about? First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, this is the world and what the world loves. It is a lust for the eyes, lust for the flesh, and also the pride of life. Lust for the things that we could see, lust for the things that could give us pleasure, 
and also pride in our achievements and our possessions. So when I talk about love for the world, what I mean is exactly that. This is a temptation and this is a deception of the enemy that the enemy used in Genesis chapter 3. It's a deception that the enemy used uh, among the Israelites. It's a deception and a tactic that the enemy has used um, within the Roman Empire. It's, it's something that the enemy has used even when tempting Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. This is the devices of the enemy. And the more we could be aware of the devices of the enemy, the, the less we will fall for them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot have two masters. Either you're going to love one or you're going to despise the other. This is, again, something that, I, as you could see, I'm really emphasizing on because it's something that's so subtle. It's something that I've been deceived by as well. And really, I want to ask the Holy Spirit for me to seek Jesus, for me to make Jesus my everything, for me to forsake the world. And I hope that becomes your prayer too, because that's what brings delight to the Lord's heart. That's reason number three is love for the world and also love for Jesus. And then number four is that pride. Pride goes before the fall. So now that we talked about my four suspicions on why I believe Christianity is declining in North America, let's answer the following question. Will Christianity die? And to make this simple and make it short as possible, my answer to that question is no. As long as Jesus Christ, who has resurrected from the dead, and those who are in him, the church, are alive, Christianity will never die. You have to understand that Christianity is much more than a religion. It's a person that we follow. And this person has resurrected, he is alive today, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And as long as he is alive and those in him are alive, Christianity will never die. We know the end of the story. It's written in the book of Revelations. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. That's the key word, forever. Christ will live forever. Those who are in him will live forever. And therefore, Christianity will never, ever, ever die. So here's a call to action for many of us. Number one is, have we given our whole life to Jesus? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, when you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? It means he's the master over our lives. He is the savior of our lives. When we confess him to be Lord and savior over our lives, the Bible says you will be saved. And I encourage many of us, maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've been dragged to church. Maybe you've been around the activity of church or what we call God, but yet you don't know Jesus personally. I encourage you to take the time by yourself and confess to the Lord, Lord, I really haven't known you. I don't really know you. And I believe that when you confess with your mouth and you believe it in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. Number two, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 4, there's a reason why the disciples didn't go out immediately to preach Jesus. It's because Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. Why? Because they needed to be filled. They needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is an encouragement to many of us. We need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We need to ask Jesus to fill us with his spirit, to empower us so that we can know him and also make him known. Number three, get rooted in a home church. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, do not neglect the meeting of the saints. Growth happens in the context of community, in the body of Christ, in the church. That's where we could be held accountable. That's where we could be encouraged. That's where we could grow. And so get plugged in to a home church. And if you're in the Edmonton area, here's a selfish plug. There's a church by the name of Hybrid Church. Go there. They preach the word. They preach the gospel. They're awesome people. And if you're looking for a much more younger crowd, that's a church that you could definitely go to. Okay. Number Four is use your God-given gifts to serve others. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says the Holy Spirit disperses different gifts. Why? So that we could serve one another, so that we could build up one another. And so if you have a God-given gift, which you do, use that to serve not just God's people, but use that to serve the world. That's it for me and today's podcast. If you got any value from today, I encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching. And if you are listening to any of our audio platforms, I encourage you to follow the podcast. Leave a comment down below. Leave down a review as well. And do me a favor. uh, Share this podcast with other people if it gave you value. And that way we could grow the Make God Known family. And so, like I say each and every single week, I want you to know God and make God known. Ciao, guys.